Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. It's been more than 10 years since part of Route 195 was relocated, freeing up 25 acres of prime Providence real estate. What's happened since? And has the project lived up to its original intent? Here to give us an update is Mark Crisofulli, the new chairman of the 195 Redevelopment District Commission. Our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Mark Crisofulli, chairman of the 195 Redevelopment District Commission and a fellow Mount St. Charles graduate. Mark, thank you for joining us. So happy to be here. Let's begin by reviewing what the 195 Commission is. In 2011, part of Interstate 195 was relocated, freeing up 26 acres of prime real estate for redevelopment. So where do we stand? Give us an update. Sure. We've actually had a lot of progress over the years. It hasn't developed exactly the way people anticipated back in 2011. It's a little more residential than I think people hoped. But overall, we've developed a number of parcels. We've built almost 1.9 million square feet of space. It's been over 600 million of investment, creating over a billion dollars worth of economic activity. And between projects that are completed and projects that are pending, we have over 800 units of housing, including over 150 units of affordable or workforce housing. So Hmm. we're making a lot of progress, but we still have a way to go. When you were appointed in January, the announcement said five projects have now been completed with three more to begin construction in 2023. So what are the three new ones? One is the State Health Lab, which you've seen a lot of press about, a very exciting project, right? It's 200,000 square feet of lab space. The Rhode Island Department of Health will take 80,000 square feet. Brown University will take 20,000 square feet. And then that leaves another 100,000 square feet available as spec lab space for other companies or organizations that want to come in and take some of that. 
really important. I'm sure you've heard a lot of the focus around life sciences investment. And actually, in this year's budget, there's $45 million allocated to try and stimulate more investment in that area. So this lab building is, a, is an important part of the opportunity for the state to try and seize on life sciences. That's the biggest project we have. It should be starting construction any day now, hmm. targeted to be done by 2025. And one of the things that was really helpful for that project was a big grant from the Center for Disease Control to help fund it. And the fact that it was shovel-ready because of work that had been done in advance by the commission and by the Commerce Department, you know, that project was ready to go and to, to qualify. A second project is along 195, as soon as you come off of the exit for South Main Street, okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. So you come around before you get to Trader Joe's. Okay. On the right, there's a development. Phase one, we expect to start construction in May or June. It's a two-phase project that has 135 units of housing plus a daycare center and a little bit of retail. So we're really excited about what that project adds for you know, I've said this before, we're trying to build a community within a community. So we think about all of the d different dimensions that we need to provide for. So that's the second project. So they'll have access to great snacks there at yeah. Trader Joe's. Is, is that the one with Bank RI? No. So that's all across right. the street. I see. And that's, you know, that one's in pre-development right now. Okay. okay. So that is, that will have 90 units of residential plus the Bank RI corporate headquarters. I got you. All right. I remember when the commission was first formed and the vision that everybody talked about was tech jobs and higher education jobs, life sciences, as you alluded to, and former Governor Lincoln Chafee talked about meds and eds. But I see a lot of residential development, as you noted. So have we lost sight of the original vision? I don't know that we lost sight of the original vision. I would just suggest that the original vision may have been somewhat naive, right? It's not realistic to think you can just throw up these buildings and fill up millions of square feet with commercial tenants. And that's really gets to the heart of it. You need the commercial demand in order to get a developer to come in and invest tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to build the kind of building. Now, there's 225 Dyer, the building that we're in right now, right. which has been a tremendous success. There are all sorts of businesses in here. You see you know, a tremendous focus on wind energy. There are 35 companies alone in this building that utilize wind energy, plus Brown has some space in this building. So you, there's some of that. The lab building will help, but we want to try and focus on it a little more. So we have started talking to other developers about life sciences investments, in addition to that, you know, you've got the Bank RI corporate headquarters, which will bring jobs into the area. So as you take on this new role, is part of your mission to try to spur that commercial development more than it has been? That is part of my mission. We have to be realistic, however, in that there are these competing priorities of trying to support and enable commercial development, but also getting things built and maximizing the land value to try and help the taxpayers who floated the bonds initially to buy this land. And the approach we're going to take on that, Ed, is, is to do everything we can to support and enable commercial development, 
But then, you know, one project at a time, two projects at a time, if it's not realistic, we have to continue moving forward with additional development. Gotcha. And you've talked about how there are models of success out there in other locations. Tell us about some of those. A couple of weeks ago, I was out in Carlsbad in Southern California, and you just just littered with life sciences companies and all of this investment and innovation. It's really exciting. You could go to Cambridge and Kendall Square, Massachusetts itself had a lot of success over the last few decades really investing in life sciences. But it requires a different approach than government is traditionally used to. You have to engage and hire people that are have relationships in the industry that can try and make a compelling case for why they should come to Providence, Rhode Island, as to somewhere else. And you need to cluster enough of them. You know, one of the tremendous assets that we have here is Brown University. And there are lots of commercial players that want to be near Brown, that want to collaborate with Brown, and want to try and have access to inventions and new concepts coming out of Brown students and faculty for businesses that could actually be built here and then stay here. That's the life cycle that we want to try and tap into. I mean, everybody talks about Cambridge or Silicon Valley. What's your, what's your vision? I mean, could we ever reach that kind of critical mass or is that beyond our reach? No, that's beyond our reach, yeah. right? We just don't have enough other assets and infrastructure, but we don't need to hit that level of critical mass to have a real positive impact in Providence and in Rhode Island. And that's what we're going to try and do. Remains to be seen if we can do it, though. Right, right. We're As you noted, we're sitting here in the Wexford building across the street from the site of the proposed Fane Tower, which would have been 46 stories of luxury condos, the tallest building in Rhode Island. But developer Jason Fane now says the $300 million project's no longer feasible. Are you surprised that the project didn't go forward? No, I'm not. Yeah, why not? There were a number of headwinds into this project, and you know there were legitimate questions about the viability, about the financial wherewithal of the developer and the project to actually get it going. So a number of people had questions about whether he could really raise the money. He was our chosen partner at the 195 Commission. And so, you know, I supported his ability to try and get it done. But at the same time, I was really uncomfortable with this lingering uncertainty around whether it would happen or not. So from my perspective, I either wanted it to be built or I wanted clarity around the fact that it wasn't going to get built so we could move on to another use. Yeah, what might be another use for that site? So it's a really important parcel. There are some challenges with the parcel. As you know, when you walk out there, there's no back door, right? So what we're exploring right now is actually changing the dimensions of the lot a little bit Hmm. to make it a little narrower and a little deeper. So we still have the same absolute amount of parkland, but we might create a parcel that's a little more susceptible to an exciting project. Deeper going more toward the pedestrian bridge? Yes, and just so, a little bit more. Yeah, right? well, how much would it cut into, I guess that's a park. There, yeah, basically. it is a park, but by law, what we're allowed to do is as long as we have a net neutral effect on parkland, we might take a little bit of the parkland from that side and add a little more parkland on the other side and create a more exciting, inviting entrance to that park area all the way across to the pedestrian bridge. Whereas if the Fane Tower was built, it would have covered that entire area and really blocked the bridge. The bridge is such a stunning addition to the park. We want to make sure it's as accessible as possible, even from this building. So the more of a view corridor we could create from the jewelry district next to this building across to the pedestrian bridge, I think that would be good for everybody. 
Last year, the commission approved plans for, as you noted, the new Bank Rhode Island headquarters on parcels 8 and 8A near Trader Joe's there, right? So Bank RI said it had outgrown its current headquarters on the upper floors of the Turks Head building, downtown Providence. And when I wrote about that last year, I remember I heard from some downtown business owners who said the district is just moving a bank from one part of the city to another. You know, is the district hurting other local property owners with its projects? Yeah, so so I've heard I've heard those questions, and my answer would be, how do we know that Bank RI was going to stay in the Turks Head building? You know, I've been in business my whole life. You have to adapt to the needs of the business, or it will pass you by. I don't know, but they may have moved to Lincoln or Smithfield or somewhere else, right, for a much cheaper thing. But they were they participated in a compelling vision for themselves that adds to us. And it's a new building. They're adding net jobs into Providence as part of this. And it does free up other space somewhere else. But it gets another building built and another host of employees who are now downtown in the area going to the restaurants, drinking at the coffee shops, walking in the park, enjoying it, creating this real sense of vitality and community, which is one of our missions. And we're sitting here in the Wexford building, an impressive building. But when Wexford made its purchase, it was for $1. And the developer received big tax breaks. So how can the district get more value for this prime real estate? Oh, that's something we are supremely focused on right now is maximizing land values. And that's one of the reasons why we may end up doing more residential projects because the residential projects can pay more for the land. So we're constantly doing that balancing act. The state lab, we only get a dollar. And we're thrilled about that. Yep. Some of the other parcels we're talking about, we're getting 2 and $3 million. While there's a need for more commercial development, there's also a crucial need for more affordable housing in Rhode Island. So could this district be part of the solution to the state's housing crisis? Yes, it already is, and it will continue to be even more so. You know, we have eight years left on our existence under the existing law. <laughs> and so we will be ramping up our activities. As I mentioned, we're going to try and do commercial projects, but if they're not viable or we can't get them to go, then we will default you know, one project at a time to more residential. And in many of our residential projects, there's some dimension of either affordable housing or workforce housing. Actually, one of the projects we're considering right now that we've given pre-approval to is on parcel two, which is near Plant City between South Main and South Water. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's 175 units. It's a project we're really excited about. It also includes some artist live-work units. Yeah, how affordable is the housing that's been developed in the district? Because I think with all the attention on Fane, luxury condos is what people have been hearing about. Uh, yeah, so... so there's a range of prices. Some of the housing is is fairly expensive. It's good, healthy rents. It's those healthy rents that enables developers to afford the investment to come in and build the building. With many, but not all of our projects, we do encourage and support having some affordable housing or workforce housing. So that gets into the mix. But you know, with the housing crisis that we have in the state, any housing that's brought into play helps somehow. It relieves the pressure. As I mentioned at the beginning, we've created 800 units between what's done and what's pending. Maybe we can create another 800 to 1,000 units. That's the magnitude of what we can do. And if 20 or 25% of those are affordable or workforce housing, you know, we've made a nice dent. But obviously, much more than that is required to solve the issue for the state. Yeah, I mean, you can encourage it, but would you support requiring a certain percentage of that housing that is developed in the future be affordable or, or uh, workforce housing? 
I'm not supportive of a blanket requirement like that. You have to look at each parcel and each project on its own and to see what's achievable because there are trade-offs. The more you require affordable housing, then the less we can charge for the land because we're essentially forcing the developer to subsidize it. And there are other constraints as well. So it has to work for society. It has to work for the district, but it also has to work for the developer and their financing partners. Is there any new projects coming up in the district? We are excited to unveil a proposal for what's called Parcel 14. So if you look at 200 Dyer, there's a brown building, a small building. We own a little strip of land right next to that Oh yeah, at the edge of the park. So we put that out for bid and we received a, what we consider to be a really exciting proposal. We'll be considering it at our for the first time at our commission meeting on April 19th. It's by a developer named CV Properties. They're the developer of the Aloft Hotel. Oh, yeah. As well as the G-Tech building back in the early 2000s. So they, Going back to G-Tech. Yeah, and Dynamo House. So there's a it's, a it's a developer we can trust, we're comfortable working with, we're confident that if he takes on a project, it will actually happen. And what's really important and exciting about this is it's, a, it's an 11-story residential tower, another 150 units, but done in partnership with Brown University. Hmm. So this will kind of be a unique approach where we would sell our land to CV properties, assuming the project goes through all of the processes and gets approved. Brown would contribute some of their land. And then in addition to the residential tower down the road, it would enable a master plan development of another 500,000 square feet of space on land that the commission doesn't control. So we're really excited about that because obviously our core mission is the district, but it's really to try and enable development in this whole area, even by land we don't control. And that's something that really is exciting to us. That 500,000 square feet of land would be brown-owned land next door? So it it would be developed. It's the land is next to our land. Brown owns it currently. I see. But it would be a different ownership structure ultimately, but Brown would partner according to what the proposal says, with its development down the road. And what would it be, dorms? It no, 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 it would be commercial space. Could commercial be other lab space. space, other buildings of, you know, you know, school buildings. I see. Something like that. So, I mean, that's a long way down the road, but it gives us a lot of confidence in considering this one proposal. It's a good price for the land, and it's something that we think would really try and help activate that whole area. So we look forward to considering it with all the commissioners. As I said, We've just received the proposal, and we'll be unveiling it for the first time. And it's 11 stories of residential? Yes. And so that's not dorms? That, no. And, that, and what, would any of it be affordable, or is it is it? We're still going to work through. It's not going to be condos. It's going to be rentals. Right. And we're still going to work through the whole program with the developer. All right. Very good. Mark Christofuli, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. To read more of our reporting on the 195 Commission, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Scott Hellman, and Carlos Munoz. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. If you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.
Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.